I'm Chad Reed. I'm Hillary Langer. I'm Gil Jenkins. And this is Climate Positive. It's incumbent on all of us to really engage and lean in, evangelize our story, which is a great story. Everyone wins under our story. Costs are reduced for energy consumers. Jobs are created. Energy independence is advanced. In our final episode of 2023, we sit down with Dan Sugar, founder and CEO of NextTracker, a leading provider of intelligent, integrated solar tracker and software solutions used in utility scale and distributed gen solar projects globally. With over 30 years of experience in the field, Dan has been a driving force in advancing climate tech solutions in the U.S. and around the world. In our conversation, Dan reflects on NextTracker's incredible success over the past 10 years, including its successful IPO earlier this year. We talked at length about the company's steadfast, customer-focused mindset and how that has driven so many industry-first solar tracker innovations in their mission to transition the world to affordable and renewable power. Dan also talked about NextTracker's remarkable initiatives with U.S. manufacturing expansions over the past three years and the importance of public policy engagement for our industry. He also touched on a few non-U.S. markets that are also key to his optimism around the future of solar power. We even found time at the end to have a bit of fun talking about great guitar music and his new musical products venture, Amp Mojo. I hope you enjoy this episode with one of the clean energy industry's most brilliant and passionate CEOs. So with that, here's my conversation with Dan. Dan, welcome to Climate Positive. Thanks so much for inviting us to participate. Our pleasure. So to kick things off, I understand you just celebrated Next Tracker's 10-year anniversary at a big event last night, and you also won a big award, the Trailblazer of the Year at the Platts Global Energy Awards. So I, I guess I'd ask you, how are you thinking about both milestones? Well, we were very honored to be recognized by Platts, Gil. And look, the 10-year celebration with the company is sort of a milestone of what the team's been able to accomplish in furthering our mission to make solar the number one source of power in the world. And what's happened is since we started the company, you know, if you went back 10 years ago, coal was still over 40% of national energy generation. Today it's under 15%. Amazing. Solar is the number one source of power being installed in the United States and overseas. At Next Tracker, we have a very strong platform of projects and customers, both in the States and overseas. And so what's truly amazing is the U.S. Energy Information Administration, which historically has been very uh, conservative on solar and massively under forecast the growth of solar. Well, guess what? EIA, their base plan has solar being the number one source of energy generation, not capacity, higher bar energy generation in the United States in 10 years. Solar will be number one. They have for the next five years, solar at a 26% annually compounded growth rate. Do I believe that? Yes. Next trackers had over the prior five years, a 30% CAGR. So, you know, it doesn't sound, it sounds in the realm of doable. And so it's very exciting. We're at the 10 year celebration. We've delivered well over 80 gigawatts of power globally uh, to, you know, dozens of countries around the world. We couldn't be more excited about that milestone. So I want to talk about your customers too, because I understand you uh, had the privilege of having a bunch of them in town to kind of celebrate the 
anniversary last night and perhaps today. Uh, you know, give, what, why do they choose to do business with you as, as we sit here in December 2023 versus the competition? I really appreciate that. Well, first, we have the Solar Dream team at Next Tracker. Six of my six co-founders from when I found the company 10 years ago are still with us today. And we have well over 20 years average experience of the people on our leadership team. So we've been in the shoes of the customers. And we'd like to say that when you're in a conversation with a customer, there's one mouth and two ears. So we really try to listen to the customer. And then, in fact, just this morning, uh, we had an event at my home. We had one of the leading uh, developers, one of the most sophisticated developers in the industry here. And we were speaking about the next series of projects we're doing that incorporate features that the customer asked us to develop. And so what we don't do is go off in an ivory tower and conceive something in a vacuum and then unveil our masterpiece in front of the customer, what we do is we try to work with them as we're conceiving new features or responding to specific issues they have that or opportunities to create value and develop partnerships. And then we execute on those. And I'll share with you our secret sauce in one word. It's called ICE-T. And what does that mean? ICE-T stands for for us, innovation and innovation that delivers value for customers. Hmm. Customers is, is yeah, the yes. second point. Execution to then fulfill that in team. And it sounds like a catch word, but it's not. If you go to around and talk to companies and get in there and ask employees, what's the company strategy? They don't know. But yeah. an extractor they do, because we it's basically one word. And then we cascade specific initiatives down that that roll into this these very core principles. And so we stay focused on that, on the prize. And that's why customers reward us with their trust and their their business. You know, that it's so clear that the customer focus mindset, and you know, I it can be um you know, a bit cliche, but it's so clear that it's central to your um, DNA as a person and as a company. And it resonated a lot with me. I think about our business and we have, um, unfortunately, we don't have a great acronym like uh, ICE-T, but we have very simple three values. And one of them is, it, it's not particularly core, but it's just solve climate client problems. And it's so elegant. It's just like, think, be obsessed with your customers and solve their problems, and you would—you're probably not that surprised that not every financial investor is always <laughs> thinking about how can I solve client problems. So, I, I applaud you for that. And um, let's um, let's step back. I think to the company um, alluded to some of the success and the great year it's been. Um, in February, you achieved what I think is the largest IPO on Nasdaq and NYSE for clean energy stocks this year. And your shares have performed very well. I don't have the exact number in front of me since the IPO. Certainly benefiting from strong earnings and leadership. Um, what, what do you what do you attribute to that uh, successful uh, first year as a publicly traded company, particularly in light of you know what are real headwinds for the solar industry and 
a lot of pressure on on solar and other renewable energy stocks this year yeah i appreciate that question gil at the time we did the ipo in february it was the largest ipo that had been done since since october and it the market had been really significantly closed um we exercised a lot of restraint in terms of how we the expectations we created we wanted to make sure that we built our plan to be able to perform despite unknowns that might happen and our teams executed on those uh our plan and we have performed we basically uh in the last in the quarter since we went public we've uh exceeded our our revenue and our earnings targets and we've been able to increase our um you know our 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 plan for the year you call that meeting and beating targets right yeah and i i really think that comes down to discipline and we you know when we were out uh speaking to customers prior to the ipo in what are called test of water meetings we heard very uh very clear message from the investment community that they they really liked our story they really liked the company history and the financial performance but you know they were really imploring us to be the adult in the room that you know achieves our plan and meets and beats that uh and because a number of other companies had underperformed and so we think it's part of our mission is to make clean energy the number one source of power in the world and in order to do that we need to grow in order to grow our industry needs more capital in order to attract more capital it needs to be a good investment vehicle and deliver returns reliably and so we think it's important for next tracker and important to the industry and there's there's other uh high performing con companies for example quanta uh services uh is a public company they're they've uh, have a, a a very strong uh, offering in EPCs, and they've been performing, and uh, some others have. So we we really wanted to demonstrate both for the next tracker investors, but also for the solar Sector industry. That yeah, yeah. So that'll help attract more capital and able to grow. So um, in this kind of back to the point, you know, it's not all rosy out there, and although. It's getting better, right? So supply chain snags and, and trade were tough on the overall U.S. utility scale solar installations last year, but they've really bounced back and, uh, in 23. And just yesterday, CEO, where you sit on the board, announced that the U.S. has added 6.5 gigawatts uh, of new generating capacity this year. Solar, which is a 35% year-over-year increase and solar is expected to have a record 33 gigawatts by by the end of the year um this year so a great year for the segment um and we talked a little bit earlier yeah you know besides eia what they're uh, finally coming around with um, good projections what makes you so bullish about 24 and beyond for the broader segment at large well if i if you look at the you know, there's a lot of headwinds people talk about. Interest rates are higher. There's been inflation. Uh, there's delays on interconnection. Yep. You know, yep. there's equipment lead times. Are all those things true? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. No question about it. But look at the tailwinds that we have. Six quarters ago, everyone for the U.S. was modeling a 10% investment tax credit. 
Well, guess what? It's 30% 30. for everybody <laughs> and 40% adders. if you can, yeah. yeah, or more if you can hit certain domestic content provisions, which we're seeing in some projects. Um, and Next Tracker supports customers that need high domestic content because we've massively expanded our US supply chain and we can unpack that later if you're in. Yeah, I got a couple questions on that. Um, okay, let, so we'll let, come back but before we move on. Um, so just uh, to finish your, the answer to your question, Gil. So, okay, that's thing one. It's the best policy environment ever uh, for renewables from that standpoint. Number two, as you mentioned, you know, if you went back a year ago, there was there were huge com- constraints on availability of solar panels for the U.S. Well, what's happened is, and it's still a thing. It you know an issue, a bit of a headwind, but it's largely alleviated because there's been significant expansion of U.S. manufacturing capacity and existing manufacturers like First Solar that have uh, two new factories under construction. Um, in the United States, and they're expanding at their uh, one of their existing factories, taking on, you have additional uh, U.S. suppliers. There have been 50 announcements of U.S. capacity, and you have some overseas suppliers that have set up um, completely outside of China for an A to Z supply chain that are making, uh, and, the, and that's also alleviated the situation. So so that's those are significant uh tailwinds and so the you know the industry growth is um is evidenced by you know in our case we've had very strong growing backlog as part of our earnings calls we announced at the end of of march that we were at a 2.6 billion backlog which was up 90 percent from the year prior and then our last earnings call the subsequent inter- earnings call, we said it was at three billion, and then the uh, the the last earnings call we had, we said it was well over three billion. So, you know, we're so high performing companies are seeing growth, but you know, it's incumbent on all of us to execute and also to articulate all the benefits that our industry is providing to places we operate. You know, in the U.S., we're creating you know tens of thousands of jobs, new jobs. You know, we're lowering costs for customers. We're advancing energy independence, and you know, we're decoupling globally from petro petro states. Yeah. So maybe let's come to the um, manufacturing piece in particular, because um, you know, I, a little more on the supply chain, and this has been uh, a big year for Next Tracker in terms of really leaning into the U.S. manufacturing base. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong on the number, but Next Tracker has opened over a dozen new manufacturing lines from all over the U.S., from Pittsburgh to Las Vegas, just since the start of 22. Uh, and in doing so, you're, of course, reducing shipping distance and, and addressing those supply chain uncertainties. But uh, you're also increasing the demand for domestic steel. Tell us just a bit more about the significance of uh, your investments in public manufacturing, those openings and You've sort of talked about the strategy, but anything else that just comes to mind on what a um, incredible year of um, expansions and openings are in terms of where you're doing your manufacturing? Thanks, Gil. So we've always had manufacturing capacity in the U.S., but what we did was it wasn't just last year, but we actually made the decision to radically expand our capacity almost three years ago now, well before the IRA. Timely decision, though. 
been in the right decision. Well, it was, it came, you know, we started this conversation talking about customers. This came down, you know, this was a customer thing because yeah. we were having a very difficult time getting material, as all companies were, getting materials through ports when the supply chain um, efficiency went off the rails. You know, you had 90 ships off the port of Long Beach, the largest port in the United States. It was taking like a month or two to get materials landed and out of port, and blah, blah. Um, and we have a very, very strong international uh, presence we're making in, you know, dozens of countries around the world, including the U.S. But we just decided at that moment, before there was any policy support, we were going to do what we needed to do to be able to deliver on time, deliver on schedule. Now, what a real bonus. So we catalyze. I want to be clear about something also. Next Tracker doesn't own any manufacturing facilities. We're kind of like Apple. You know, we, we work with sure. manufacturing partners to make our products. And so we work with both um, proven partners in the, in the States and abroad to bring capacity to the United States. And we work with new providers uh, that we hadn't worked with previously, uh, great U.S. companies that we worked with. And we catalyzed 15 or more factories across the United States in geographically optimized regions to build out this capacity. Now, something we did not fully appreciate that was has been a huge benefit when we started this, this build out was how much cleaner the U.S. steel is than the overseas steel. And the reason yes. for this is very simple. At the highest level, the overseas steel, about 80% of it, it comes from what's called the basic oxygen process, which is essentially like a blast furnace that uses products from coal and, and so forth, which pollutes about two tons of CO2 per ton of steel produced. By contrast, the US, 80% of the US steel is produced using an electric arc furnace process which uses as raw material predominantly scrap steel and recycled steel. So, uh, for example, in the automotive industry, if they stamp a car door or a hood from a, a sheet of steel, about 30% of the, the material ends up as clean scrap. You can just remelt it and, and reuse it. Mm. So that kind of steel that's made predominantly in the US has an order of magnitude lower CO2 per ton of steel. So. The best plants are in the, the neighborhood of 0.2 tons of CO2 hmm. per ton of steel instead of two tons. So we cultivated relationships with great U.S. companies like Steel Dynamics, U.S. Steel, and Nucor to then align their um, our fabricating our fabricating capacity with their their best in class plants, and then have material for those plants be geographically optimized and create capacity for those that then also align with our customer demand. For example, uh, in May of this year, we opened a new facility in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, we had a great public opening. It started with our customer, Silicon Ranch Corporation, which is one of the top yeah, developers developer. in the Southeast, fantastic, innovative company. Basically, we announced our second volume commitment agreement. In this case, it was a three gigawatt agreement serving many projects for them in that region. And so that was a, the customer. 
And then we had a, a fabricator, a company called Metalogalva, a, a European company, relocate some existing equipment they had for us in Portugal to start up a facility which is bespoke, dedicated for Next Tracker in Memphis in a, a building that had not been used for manufacturing in many years, right on the Mississippi River. And then it's it's located um, about a 45 minute drive from uh, a U.S. steel facility called the Big River Steel Plant, which is one of the cleanest plants in operation. And we're using that super clean electric arc furnace steel in this facility to serve Silicon Ranch and other customers. So we have this sort of end to end model mm -hmm. where you have demand, fabrication capacity and raw material in this sort of really nice. Hub. Yeah, yeah, it's an ecosystem of from that puts demand with raw material and talent, and we're able to basically de-risk and and also lower cost because it's optimized and you know the the steel's made in one place, it's galvanized one place, and then it's fabricated nearby and it goes to the project sites nearby instead of making stuff in you know Timbuktu and shipping it over you know with with diesel on a ship and then putting it over yeah. on truck or whatever. We can't go any longer in this conversation without talking about the fantastic products a bit. So um, let's do that now. Uh, Next Tracker's intelligent uh, integrated solar tracker and software solutions, and tell me how they how they optimize performance for utility scale solar plants. And you know, I want to challenge you. I think most of our listeners probably know what a solar tracker is, uh, but I always try to broaden the reach of our audience here and. Um, you know, folks are just coming in the industry and want to learn more. So I'm going to challenge you. Give me in layman's terms, you know, what a solar tracker is and and how it functions. You know, do you have a favorite um, metaphor or analogy to unpack it? Mother Nature invented trackers a long Pretty time good, before. Pretty good, yeah. We did, right? Bio, so you have a biomimicry, sun... right? Exactly. If you have a sunflower, right, it faces east in the morning and in the afternoon it's facing west. So by following the sun you can get 30, 35% more energy on a surface. So uh, biomimic, I, I, you know, I've never pronounced that word, but I'll, I'll work on that <laughs> offline. <laughs> but it's a great one. I love yes. that. Thanks for, thanks for that. It's a buzzword. I don't, I don't know if that's a hot buzzword anymore, but I remember it from a, a few years ago. So look, back literally in the 1980s, um, we were thinking when I was working at pg &E, we were thinking about how to really optimize photovoltaic plant performance. We we tested two axis trackers, one axis trackers, tilted one axis trackers, stationary systems, bifacial even back then, believe it or not. I had the great fortune of working with Howard Wenger uh, then and Howard today is our president. I've worked with Howard and four solar companies over the last 30 yep. years. Sun power legend. Yeah, no question. Yeah. Oh, he's he's amazing. And so Howard had actually um pioneered performance simulation software that modeled how solar power plants worked and was publishing on this stuff in the 80s and early 90s. And so we sort of analyzed all the options and sort of down-selected to horizontal single-axis trackers as really the killer app. In 1991, with some co-authors, we published the, the backtracking algorithm uh, to uh, as a concept to further improve the yield in single-axis trackers. And so we've been thinking about this stuff for a really, really, really long time. How many patents are we talking about here? Well, at Next Tracker, we have over 400 patents either Jesus. issued or pending. Wow. And those span innovation categories of mechanical, Mm -hmm. electronics and controls and software. 
and with a nice spread in each one. And so what happened was, so in my uh, prior company, when I was at Powerlight, which we then merged with SunPower, you know, we we hadn't invented the idea of tracking, you know, after Mother Nature, people in the industry, there were some early trackers in the 60s and 70s. So we didn't invent the idea, but we sure commercialized it. And so we had the first, you know, multi, you know, megawatt, multi-megawatt, single axis trackers out there in the industry at scale. We were we did the world's first 10 megawatt project that was in 2004 in Germany. We developed the California Valley Solar Ranch project, a 300 megawatt project, um, mm. and that was all on single axis trackers. So we're building these projects. Uh, but when we started those, all the legacy stuff we had built way back in the day, we used a linked row technology, which was the right choice then, because what we did was there weren't digital control and uh, distributed controllers and wireless mesh networks. All that tech didn't exist back then. So we used old school controllers and mechanical systems to make the interconnect these and they, they move kind of like a Venetian blind. And mm. so they're all this, all the systems were parallel. And that works. It's reliable. We built a lot of stuff and some of our old plants are performing great. That's exactly what we want to hear in this business. And so I definitely, cause I like, I want to ask you about the, it's not just tracking the sun anymore. Like I saw the hail uh, horizon solution. I'm like, what? Right. Yeah. So right. Ahead. Yeah. Well, I'll come to it. I'll come to it. Yeah. So then when we, the point is trackers and horizontal tracking really is kind of the killer app. And that's that's but when we started next tracker having built you know many dozens of plants probably hundreds of plants around the world and operated them for uh in my prior company we also ran a uh you know basically an o m and operation center when we started next tracker i only had one requirement it had to be an independent row tracker to basically decouple the tracker from mechanical connections in the field because that allowed us to navigate through the system to be able to deal with undulating terrain to be able to do vegetation management cleaning and then that unleashed and then we had a brilliant um cto join alex al came in and he invented this balance tracker with a self-powered tracking system so you don't need utility power to run it and if there's something like you were mentioning hail or or extreme weather uh, and the, the the utility power goes down, we can still control the tracker because we have integrated batteries and things like that. And and so that unleashed a lot of innovation. And then we were able to take the backtracking technology we developed back in uh, the early 90s to the next level to be able to really optimize the angle of panels as you go up and down hills and things like that. So the hail... The, the health thing was a customer-driven requirement. Let me, I'll tell you the story. I'll, I'll yeah, keep yeah. it brief. Yeah, some like Texas or Kansas to get a lot of hail down there, and right? I don't know. Give me it. Yeah, I'll try to keep it brief for my answers, Gil. So we had a customer in our office about three and a half years ago that had a system that suffered over a $70 million event on a, on, on a different tracker, someone else's tracker out in West Texas. And so as he was speaking, we sort of conceived the idea Hey, we can have a single button that is activated that broadcasts with high urgency to all the track. You could imagine tens of thousands of trackers on a multi-square mile site that receive these signals almost instantaneously and within a minute or two are at 
a, a very, you know, go to a, a safe snow angle, 60 degrees. So we commercialized that. We had it up and running within a couple quarters. What we announced at our last, at the last show uh, a couple months ago was taking that to the next level called Hail Pro. There's a great video on the next tracker. Yeah, I watched that. That was intense. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes when we put the episode out. But yeah, that stow angle and alerts your phone and or, I don't know, somewhere on your system, right? And your remote controlling. The it. reality and is weather's gotten more extreme with did. the heating up of the atmosphere. Yeah. And that's just that's just a fact. And insurance costs have gone up and 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 people have built a lot in, in hail regions. So we wanted yeah. to develop a range of technologies to mitigate the risk and help owners operate these plants cost-effectively. Climate Positive is produced by HASI, a leading climate investment firm that actively partners with clients to deploy real assets that facilitate the energy transition. To learn more, please visit HASI.com. We sort of talked about the IRA. We could talk about that a bit, but, you know, broadly, um, I know from following you that uh, you are very passionate about the renewables industry sort of engaging in a big way on policy advocacy uh, as we've grown and matured, certainly. This, um, and I think that's probably a large part of the reason you're on the board of SIA and ACP, where we talked uh, that my boss, Susan Nicky, also serves. So tell me what's driving that passion for this part of the job and is I think I know the answer here, but is the industry doing enough on this front? If not, what do we need to do more of on the policy engagement and advocacy front? It's incumbent on all of us to really engage and lean in, evangelize our story, which is a great story. Everyone wins under our story. Costs are reduced for energy consumers. Jobs are created. Energy independence is advanced. And not to like over overemphasize this, but I mean, we've seen, you know, a lot of bad things happening around the world and wars and other things. And the majority of the conflicts are either about oil or funded by oil. And so we have the opportunity to really win at all of the above. And the it's up to us to evangelize this and really support uh, representatives and folks in office that support clean energy. And this should be, uh, you know, uh, bipartisan stuff. Um, you know, a lot of the uh, support for renewable energy does span, you know, across the political spectrum. And we, but it's incumbent on us to go out and talk about the benefits of our industry. And so we we do spend time doing that. Uh, recently, I launched a, a series of kind of fun videos that are a minute or two. It's the conversations with yeah at the Bob. dinner right at the dinner table with the naysayers right it, right tell, right tell so us I, about I that. sat next to this guy at a, at a wedding and he's like well hey all the solar panels come from China and solar's not reliable what about when the sun goes down and why why aren't we doing more nuclear and you know those kinds of things and so you know there there are great answers to each of those questions and so I created this little video series but we we need to do we need to really step up on our communication. We need to step up yeah. to ensure the uh, folks that are going to support clean energy or not put roadblocks in our way or, you know, overly support more expensive technologies like uh, nuclear or or coal 
that that also have have issues that you know that we see clean energy happen in the, in our industry. So it's incumbent on all of us. So uh, you mentioned the um, fossil fuel industry. Um, I think I can assume we're both students of um, their influence um, over the many decades in impeding climate action. Um, what's your take on where we things stand today, uh, particularly as we read uh, headlines coming out of COP28 in Dubai, which uh, unfortunately is hosted by a Petro State oil minister. Um, any any hot takes on um, the uh, the dominant force still in the uh, global energy industry? Well, I think look, ultimately we win because you know we have tech that's just significantly Better. lower cost yeah. that's much faster to install and has it's financeable with less risk. Um, the one thing that was very encouraging that I, I saw out of there was the focus on the methane reduction, yeah, uh, which is big. a tre tremendous bang for your buck. Uh, so folks signing up to measure methane that's created with you know oil and gas uh, development uh, and production, and then reduce it, which is very affordable. And here's some stuff people don't know. Do you know the U.S. produces more oil than Saudi Arabia? Okay. I did know that, but I'm I'm weird, and it's so infuriating that um, that fact isn't known that we're a net exporter of oil. Yeah, I know. Let's talk about so U.S. is at the highest level of oil and gas production that yeah. we ever have been by a significant margin. So yes, you can afford to measure methane and make sure you when you drill a well that That's you right. do it properly. You know, I think Gil, we've we've spoken about. A lot about the U.S., but if if it's okay, I'd like to give a yeah, sense of what's happening abroad. Please, please, you're a global company. Give me the perspective beyond our borders. Very excited about what's happening globally in in renewables and solar. Uh, Canada put a thirty percent ITC into place uh, a few quarters ago, and we're seeing the market take off up there. And because solar panels are bifacial now, they can make power from both sides. It's great. Like there's snow on the ground. Well, great. You're making you're, the reflections yeah. helping. Helping the solar, uh, you know, uh, down in Latin America, uh, where Nextracker has been the number one provider for a number of years, uh, we're seeing a number of countries down there uh, really take solar forward. Um, How about India? India is booming, right? From us, India is rocking with solar. It's fantastic. We've been in India uh, since I founded the company. We have a very large office in Hyderabad. We have a legacy fleet of dozens of systems that have been the top performing systems in India. Very exciting about that. And we've been rewarded with many gigawatts of new projects that we're fulfilling today. And, you know, we talked about everything we've done expanding our supply chain in the U.S. We've also expanded overseas markets. Uh, we uh, work, work with our partners to expand in Brazil. We've also been expanding in India. And so we're able to... Um, have capacity in various regions to serve those regions, but also export, if that makes sense, including from the U.S. We've exported from the U.S. So we've seen these regions growing. And Australia is, is another great story. Uh, they're, they're growing. Australia, the Oceania region is growing. Um, and Africa is, is, is much earlier stage, but growing. So the Middle East is, uh, we've got mm. some of the, the, 
early large utility scale projects in the Middle East, huge projects happening in the Middle East. So yeah, I mean, there's there's oil in the Middle East, but they're using renewables uh, significantly in an in increasing amount. So we're really seeing a sort of up and to the right. I think the 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 last market I'd mention is Europe. After you know Putin weaponized energy in, in the Ukraine war, we've seen Europe and the Nord Stream pipeline get blown up. Yeah. Uh, we've seen Europe transitioning to much more renewables. So we're very encouraged by the growth of renewables overseas. I just have a few more to wrap it up. You have said that having a great company is like having a band. You want to give space to everyone to both contribute and listen to what is happening. Can you, because we're going to talk about music, can you build on that? And, you know, I assume this band analogy is inherently also about fostering innovation and creativity. But give me that. Give me a little more color on that. Sure. And you want, you know, not the loudest voice to win a conversation, but the best ideas to win a conversation in a company. And, you know, we're also thinking a lot about succession planning and uh, not like I'm going anywhere. Okay. Cause if you, if I have a blue line in my, in my okay. arm that looks like a vein, but if you cut it, silicon comes out. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not going anywhere, but you know, we want the next generation of leaders to come and really uh, contribute. So you need to provide space for them to do that. Uh, you know, it's really interesting. So Miles Davis was, you know, one of the greatest trumpeteers of, of all time. He had this just incredible band, a uh, five-piece band, and then a seven-piece band with like, you know, Coltrane and all these great guys. And then later, much later in his career, he had a band with all these young people and they were out there doing it. And people were asking like, wow, what's up with all these young young musicians in your band? And he's like, well, you either got it or you don't, you know? And so then you you cultivate those those skills and capabilities and those become you know your future band leaders down the road so um we've had a very great retainage of talent at the company very low turnover um and it's through you know really leaning into the culture of the company and creating an environment where people can achieve their dreams and aspirations Love it. Let's turn to the rapid fire hot seat as we close. I'm going to ask you to just say the first thing that comes to mind. Best hike you went on recently. I know you're a hiker. Yeah, I mean, I'm literally looking out the window. My favorite hike is I live in Pacifica, California, literally right out the door. There's just incredible views of the coast. It's very inspiring. Oh, I know it. Well, that was my next question. What a cool little surf town. For anyone that isn't familiar, I used to go there. I used to go crabbing off the beautiful pier there and love that sharp park public course. But tell me about the hike there that you find respite in. Well, I just love being outdoors. There's fantastic hiking and mountain biking. I do it here in Pacifica on the coast where I live in a little bit south of the San Francisco Bay, but also up in the mountains. Love that. Okay. One more music question. You can probably see this uh, Gretsch guitar. You you correctly noted the Bigsby uh, pickup there hanging. Um, but I think you're a better guitar player than me. I haven't been to one of your um, your parties yet, but I, I'm pretty sure you're advanced. I play like three chords. So uh, my question is, you may be familiar with Rolling Stone's greatest guitar list, and they, which they just expanded. But who's your guitar idol as a player? I mean, I love so many great guitar players. I love that old blues rock stuff. You know, uh, yeah. Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, yes. Johnny Winter, 
but then you know people like jeff beck like we took it to such a new level with like great funk and rhythm and expression so i love all that stuff but i also love classical music i love Django Reinhardt, you know, hmm. and and there's a lot of depth to jazz and where you can bring guitar. I've actually the thing I've been working on the last month is a classical piece. Nice. You were telling me before we started recording, you're so into guitars. You you've got a new venture. Tell me about that. Yeah, I just started a company called Amp Mojo, which is a musical products company. Our first product is actually a overdrive pedal that has an integrated vacuum tube inside the pedal, real tube that overdrives the amplifier. And the story of this company is it was during the pandemic early. I was playing guitar in my backyard and over the fence, my neighbor yelled, hey, man, that sounds good. I didn't realize he was a musician. We started playing and then he showed me a prototype of a pedal that he'd been building in his garage. Jesus. One thing led to another. Uh, we started manufacturing these in my garage and now we're doing high volume production runs with really a next generation guitar effects, which is just a fantastic fun project to be involved with. Oh, so cool. Well, I hope to hear you play soon. I know you play out at the big shows and I will have a better sense, but check out that top 100 Rolling Stone guitars list because you might, my goal is to see as many of them that are still alive before I kick the bucket. And, uh, you know, when you see a great, you know it, right? Hey, Gold, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. It really helps us reach more listeners. You can also let us know what you thought via Twitter at climateposipod or email us at climatepositive at hassy.com. I'm Gil Jenkins, and this is Climate Positive.